You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. Good. Cello. Am I right? It's just me. I love the cello. All right. My name's John. I'm one of our, I'm our uh, pastor of family discipleship. If you will, go ahead and grab your Bible and flip open to 1 John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on the end of the rows. Ask someone nice. They'll pass one down to you. 1 John 1 is where we'll be. But before we get there, I want to give us a little, uh, just spotlight something a little bit unique about our church So if you're newer with us, uh, we exist as a family of churches in the Columbia area. What that means is we are three churches, Midtown Downtown, Two Notch, and Lexington, all seeking to be Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia and the surrounding areas. Uh, That means that we all have slightly contextualized approaches to how we are trying to reach the people in our neighborhoods where we live. But then we get to share resources like finances and wisdom and office space and kind of bounce stuff off of each other. So we really uh, love that and how God's kind of shaped that to work. Wanted to give you all a quick update on Midtown Lexington, which is a church plant we sent out about three, four years ago. Uh, they just got approved to purchase a building in the heart of Lexington right on Main Street. So yeah, that's good. That's a good thing. Uh, if you don't know, they have been meeting in a school building, but the school district has a rule about a church can only meet there for so long, so they were getting ready to kick them out, and we needed a place to find, and we found, I think we've got a picture of the actual space. That's the building right on Main Street. It's right before you come into downtown, and uh, it's just great. It's going to be great for them being really rooted in that area and continuing to be Jesus-centered family on mission for a long time. Uh, They are currently raising funds to buy and start renovating the building. So they're approved for it, but now they got to get the money and make it happen. If you want more information, you can go to movetoeastmain.com move to eastmain.com. You can write that down. Go check it out. Uh, I'd love to pray for them as we get started this morning. Father God, thank you so much that finances don't make you sweat, uh, that you love this city of Columbia, and you love Lexington, and you love the two-notch neighborhoods. We're there uh, living out gospel-centered community. God, I pray for for our Lexington church specifically right now as they're in this transitional time and as they're trying to raise funds pretty quickly. I just uh, pray that you'd show up miraculously, uh, that you'd show up through normal, ordinary sacrifices of your people being generous uh, to see your kingdom keep advancing, to see the hope of of the gospel keep getting held out. Uh, And I pray that... um, We would just for years and years get to celebrate all the fruit that you're going to bear as you continue to work and provide for us as a church family. We pray it all in your precious name, Jesus. And lastly, we just ask that the University of North Carolina would never win another game in any sport ever again. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Okay, so today we are on to our member covenant practice of confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. If you've been around for a while, you know this is kind of foundational for us in our culture. We're going to be walking through 1 John chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 10. So we'll start in verse 5. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, also is writing this letter. He's older in age. He's a little crusty, and I love it. Here we go. 1 John 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, 
that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So this light versus dark theme is a major theme in the scriptures. It's one that John uses a lot, both here in 1 John as well as in his gospel. Uh, it's kind of highlighted in John 8, 12, when Jesus says, uh, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So biblically speaking, sin is darkness, and sin leads us to walk in darkness. It is both. Sin darkens our heart, and it leads us to walk in darkness. By contrast, Jesus wants to lead us out of darkness and into the light. And right away, I need to clarify, because if we're not careful, if you're not careful this morning, you could read this text and hear this sermon and think that I'm talking to someone else the entire time. But in reality, this passage is speaking to all of us. And to get that, you need to know there are two very different types of darkness that Jesus wants to call us out of. Two different types of darkness. The first one is this, religious darkness. Religious darkness. You see Jesus confronting this kind of darkness all the time when he's here on earth ministering. Religious darkness is where you know what sin is. You're familiar with the scriptures. You have some base level knowledge of who God is, what the rules are, but you don't want to admit your own sin. You think that the game is to try to look as impressive and as righteous as possible, so you end up hiding you act good, you wear masks, you try very hard to manage your image, but you can never be fully honest. This religious type of darkness lends itself to a lot of hypocrisy, and it lends itself to a lot of shame. And the danger here is that externally you look very moral and clean, but internally you're dark. This is when Jesus uh, calls out the Pharisees and he says, you're whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but inside it's death. Your heart, you're not vibrant, you don't have real life, you're not in the light. That's the first type of darkness that Jesus confronts regularly. There's a second type of darkness that's almost equal and opposite, and we'll just call it irreligious darkness. Irreligious darkness is an entirely different way to walk in the dark. Unlike the first type, those who walk in irreligious darkness uh, will tend to be very honest and willing to talk about their sin. Or they wouldn't call it sin necessarily, but their weaknesses, their failures, their shortcomings. So there tends to not be any hypocrisy in that sense. But the problem is those who are in irreligious darkness aren't willing to agree with God about what he says sin is. So you're still in darkness even though you seem more free from the religious type of darkness. You see that? Whatever the type of darkness you find yourself in, which just historically, culturally speaking, we're shifting from more religious darkness being the popular option in the 50s to very irreligious darkness being popular now in the 2000 teens where we find ourselves. But whatever type of darkness you find yourself in, Jesus calls all of us to repent, to follow him, and to walk in the light. Look at verse 6. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So I love this because John contrasts what we say versus how we walk. 
He says, listen, you can say you have fellowship with Jesus all day long, but if you walk in darkness, you're a liar. What you say and what, in fact, I think John, to those who are stuck in religious darkness, is saying, don't be a hypocrite. Your words and you knowing the right answers is not as important of an indicator of your spiritual health as the way that you live. If what you say and what you do are out of line, I don't care how good your mouth game is about how good of a game you talk about following Jesus. If your life doesn't match up to it, you're a hypocrite, you're a liar. And that's really encouraging to a lot of us because by and large, we tend to hate hypocrisy, do we not? Like we just, oh man, somebody's always up on their soapbox, judgmental, they've got that palpable sense of superiority where it's like whether they mean to or not, they're always making other people feel dumb and small and less than them. Like they're always looking down their nose. We just hate that. Like we have almost no tolerance for that as a society, right? That's gross. Yuck. Stop it. Get, get away. Like that's just, it's almost this visceral reaction. And the truth is we start practicing that visceral reaction of hypocrisy very young. So uh, I our pastor family discipleship. I oversee our kid town. I have five kids of my own. And kids start very early. Kids are like little hypocrisy detectors. They are fine-tuned to see the smallest discrepancies between what their parents say and what their parents do. And I'd like to clarify, that is not because kids are so wonderfully innocent and pure. It is because they're looking for leverage so they can manipulate you, okay? I'll give you an example. But daddy, you don't always make your bed. See, what my kids forget, though, is I believe in the gospel. So when they try that on me, I say, you know what, honey, you're right. But we believe that daddy is imperfect and Jesus is perfect. And you still have to do what I say because perfect Jesus says you have to obey imperfect daddy. Got him. Uh, and then I just move on while they cry. I just walk away. It's great. It works out great. Listen, listen, this is really important. The problem with our hypocrisy detection is not that it's wrong. The problem is that it works great when it's focused on others and it doesn't work quite as good when we try to turn that lens back on ourselves. The truth is all of us are marked by inconsistency and discrepancy and hypocrisy. And Jesus invites all of us to be honest about our inconsistency, honest about our hypocrisy, honest about our sin, and come in the light. Verse 7, look at this. He says, but if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So John says there is a way to live completely free from the darkness. No pressure to fake it, and no need to disagree with God about what sin is. Now, I think if you're reading this, you should be going, okay, how? That's a big claim, John. How is that possible? Because I feel a lot of pressure to keep up appearances, to wear masks, to manage my image. How is it that I could actually walk in this level of freedom? And the answer is the gospel. We're pretty big on that around here. The gospel is the hope of Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection given in our place. So the gospel is hope for those of us who struggle with religious darkness because Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. 
And he died in our place as the perfect substitute, the perfect sacrifice that we needed. And he offers to anyone who will follow him, who will come walk in the light with him, he offers his perfect righteousness as a gift. And by definition, a gift is something you cannot earn. You can't earn it. Quit trying. In fact, to try to earn the gift that God offers freely is offensive to him. He says, I won't accept that. But there's great hope for you. You don't have to keep lying. You don't have to keep faking it. Come walk in the light because you now know Jesus has done for you already what you couldn't do for yourself. The gospel is great hope for those of us who deal with religious darkness. And the gospel is also hope for those of us who deal with irreligious darkness. How? Because when you look at Jesus, you see that the perfect, loving, compassionate life of Jesus, sacrificed for the underprivileged all the way to the point of death, Jesus' perfect life and his death on the cross, it shows us that denying what sin is and embracing ourselves is not the way forward to utopia like modern America promises it is. Jesus says, no, denying yourself and embracing your need for a savior named Jesus, that's the way forward to utopia. That's how all of us, regardless of race, regardless of class, regardless of background and education, can all begin to repent of the problems that we contribute to in the world and start to move towards a more beautiful society together as we all repent of our sin and embrace Jesus and learn to love like he does. The gospel is hope for both types of darkness. Here's another way to say it. Walking in the light, confession and repentance, is first and foremost about admitting I was wrong. Wherever I was coming from, I was wrong. If I was working really hard to look clean through religious performance, nope, I was wrong. And I want to agree with God that that was never going to get me anywhere. I needed the Son of God to, God to die in my place. And on the other hand, if I was convinced that God is wrong about sin and he's barbaric and old school and he doesn't know what he's talking about and I know best how we can reach utopia on our own, nope, I was wrong. God knows best. God designed this world. God's smarter than me. God's more intelligent than I'll ever be, and I need him. And John says, as we'll walk in the light, as we'll walk in that confession and repentance, he gives us these two beautiful promises when we walk in the light. Look back at the verse. Look back at verse 7. Two promises. The first one, he says, we have fellowship with one another. So that's promise number one. It's fellowship. It's the exact same word, uh, Greek word koinonia that Adam talked about last week. It's this picture of togetherness, interwoven, interdigitated lives. You know, what John's saying here is we can't have the true fellowship and connection and belonging and community that we all want as long as we're walking in the darkness. It's not possible. As long as we're walking around in quasi-fake, pseudo-smug, arrogant versions of ourselves, we can't actually walk in the light and have real fellowship. And so if, if you notice this, he says something really interesting here because he says if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So inherent in that verse, John's saying that confession and repentance are both vertical to God and horizontal to each other. And some of us struggle with both parts of that. So, but here's the deal. First, when we see sin, we go, hey, God, I agree with you. I was wrong. I, you were right about sin. I was wrong. I need you. I confess my sin to you. And then we go to each other and say, hey, you know what, guys? I've been struggling with this sinful thought. I confessed it to God. I want to confess it to you guys as well. Will you hold me accountable? Will you help me walk in that? Hey, God, I was, or, hey guys, I was, uh, I was struggling to believe that joy was found on this sinful path. 
I just want to repent. I want to get that in the light. I want you guys to know. It's vertical and horizontal. Uh, some of you, you're very uncomfortable with the horizontal piece. It's like, I already talked to God. I don't want to talk to anybody else. And he says, cool, but that's going to mean you still can't have the fellowship that's available to you. Some of us are very comfortable talking to each other, but we never actually want to talk to God about our sin. So that's busted too. If you're willing, if you show up at Life Group on the regular and you're willing to talk about your sin and confess your sin, but if someone were to ever stop you and go, hey, have you like prayed? Have you talked to Jesus about this at all? The answer shouldn't be, uh, uh, no, no, what? Crickets. I am concerned that that might be the larger temptation that our group struggle with. We're more willing to talk to each other about our sin than we are to God. But the scriptures say that our sin is first and foremost against God. He's the one we should talk to about it first. He's also the one who can really do the most to help. And after we've talked to him and as we talk to him, we talk to each other as well. It's both, vertical and horizontal. The second promise, look back at the verse, look back at verse 7. Look at the end of it. It says, the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. That's the second promise. Not only do we get fellowship, we also get cleansing. Promise number one is fellowship. Promise number two is cleansing, ongoing cleaning, shaping, growing, spiritual growth. Now, this is a little bit cyclical, but I don't want you to miss this because it's really important, okay? I actually made a little drawing, a little chart, okay? The top is the gospel reality that if you are in Christ, if your faith is in Jesus, you are clean, period, done, end of sentence. And because you are clean, that frees you up to walk in the light, because you don't need to put on a mask. You don't need to fake it anymore. Jesus is your righteousness. You don't have to try to be righteous on your own. He's, okay, so that's how that part works. Then as you walk in the light, that keeps you growing to become more and more clean in Jesus. It's a little bit cyclical, but what happens is over time as you walk in the light, the spiritual reality that you are justified, that you are past tense, permanently clean in Christ, becomes more and more a practical reality as God sanctifies you and grows you. How? As you walk in the light. You see the cycle? And the thing just builds on itself, and you keep growing over time, and it's supposed to be really beautiful. John says both fellowship and spiritual growth, cleansing, happen as we confess our sin, repent, God, I was wrong, and we walk in the light. Okay, now, along with those two promises, John is going to give us two really strong warnings if we won't walk in the light. Two warnings if we're unwilling to agree with God, confess our sin, and walk in the light. Look at this, verse 8. And this is where he gets crusty, so prepare yourself, okay? Strap on the seatbelt. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Two warnings that John gives us. He says, if you won't agree with God about your sin, if you walk around acting like you don't have sin, like you don't need to confess anything, acting like your poop don't stink, to use a colloquialism, Two warnings he gives us. Look at the verse. The first thing he says, look at that phrase. He says, we deceive ourselves. Warning number one, if you won't admit your sin, you are in self-denial. We're in self-denial when we won't confess our sin and agree with God. That's warning number one. We are in self-denial. 
denial. Uh, Here's how one of our pastors said this. I thought it was so brilliant. He said, confession is making a declaration about ourselves that most everyone around us already knows. So some of my favorite times in life, and by that I mean least favorite, are when God is showing me something about my sin. I'm studying the word. He's pointing out something to me. I'm listening to a sermon. I'm like, whoa, that's me. I need to grow there. And I'm thinking on it, and I'm praying on it, and I'm journaling, and I'm wrestling. And I come to my wife, or I come to another pastor, I come to my life group, and I'm like, guys, I just really think God's been showing me this about me. You know, it's just like this real emotional, tender, vulnerable moment. And then they bust out laughing. They're like, yeah, really? You didn't know? Of course that's true about you. Cool. I didn't know. That's why they call it a blind spot. Maybe you could be a little more helpful. It's cool. Gospel me up. I don't know, something. John says, if you won't confess your sin, you're in self-denial. You're really only fooling yourself, not anyone else. And the second warning is even stronger. Number two, look back at the passage, look at that last phrase. He says, and the truth is not in us. Warning number one, we're in self-denial, but the second one's even bigger. Warning number two, the truth is not in us. Okay, that right there is a statement about your faith and your salvation. That's a statement about your right standing with God. And John, not me, if you're mad about it, email John. I think that's how Adam said it, right? Email John. He's dead. He never had an email address, but good luck. Uh, John says, if we will not agree with God about our sin, then we aren't close to the gospel. The truth of God has not gotten in us. So listen, if someone lied to you and made it seem to you like being a Christian is just about following a bunch of rules uh, and living or voting a certain way, that is not it. And I don't know, some of you are newer around here, and I'm so glad you're here, and I just, I'm going to come a little hard right now. Um, you might have grown up around the church. You might have been around the gospel your whole life. Your parents might be Christians. You might live a very clean, morally upstanding religious life where you come to church all the time. Religious darkness. Or... Flip side, irreligious darkness, you might live the most modern, respectable, tolerant, compassionate, animal-loving, environmentally conscious life anyone has ever seen. So much brunch. (laughs) But either way, if you live like you have no sin, the truth is not in you, and you are not a Christian. And I don't care how much Jesus sauce you sprinkle on top of the rest of your life. Why? That seems blunt, John. Why? Well, because every time we confess our sin, we are also confessing our need for Jesus. The, The two go hand in hand. And if you won't confess your sin, you're saying you don't actually have any need for Jesus, so you're saying you don't actually need or want to be a Christian, because that's the fundamental heart of following Jesus, is admitting your need for him. And if we say we have no sin, uh, then we're saying we have no need for Jesus. And he's going to come even stronger. He's actually going to take a lap around the block. And one more time on the promises, one more time on the warnings. We'll go quickly through these. Verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, this is the good side. If we confess our sins, we walk in the light. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I already hit this once. I just want to say again, that is such beautiful hope to me. 
that God promises to not leave us where we are, but instead to grow us, to keep shaping us. My favorite verse about this, I tell you all this all the time, is Philippians 1.6. Paul in Philippians says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is such good news to me to know that the decisive power in my growth is God, not me. And God promises that I, if I will just keep walking in the light, keep confessing my sin, he will be faithful to grow me, to forgive me, and to cleanse me. That is such good news for me. I don't know about you. I'm a bad sinner. I need that hope. And then John lands back on the warning just to make sure we didn't miss it the first time. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if you walk around acting like you don't have sin, or if you, the more irreligious form of darkness that's very popular in our modern day is to make it seem like nothing is sin. Everything is fine, as long as no one gets hurt. Okay, if you do that, you make Jesus out to be a liar. If you're religiously self-righteous or if you're irreligiously smug, You are looking at the Son of God who bled and died on the cross for you and saying, you're wrong, I'm right, I don't need you. And we would never say it that way because that sounds arrogant, but that's the truth of our hearts. I remember uh, in college when I was really starting to understand this, I was leading a Bible study and I was meeting with a bunch of uh, other Bible study leaders and it was a really bad time in my life. uh, I just found out my dad was having an affair on my mom. I was very emotionally beat up about it. Uh, I was coping with my sadness by turning to lust and pornography because that fixes nothing. Um, And so I was was with a bunch of the other Bible study leaders and I confessed to them because they're other ministry leaders and I was like, hey, I'm really dealing with this. And I don't know if I should talk to the guys in my group or not, because I don't want to undermine my spiritual leadership in their lives. And I'll never forget this moment. Um, A really wise young woman uh, looked me in the face, and she said, John, there were only two types of people in the Bible. There were only two people in the Bible uh, who said they were perfect. You're not Jesus. Don't be the Pharisee. And I just need you all to know there's a very religious way to be Pharisee. There always has been. And in our modern day, there's a very irreligious way to be a Pharisee as well. And to both of those types of people, Jesus says, you don't have to do that anymore. Come repent. Find out that God of the universe loves you right now in the midst of your sin. And I want to shape you and grow you and work through you to make the whole world a little bit more like heaven. That's the way forward for all of us. Some of you walked in here this morning trying so hard to keep up appearances and manage your image, and the pressure is killing you. And I have good news. The Son of God God died in your place and offers you his perfect righteousness. All you have to do is confess your need for him. And some of you walked in here this morning as your own authority, thinking that you can dictate to God what is right and wrong. I mean, it's 2019, after all. And scripturally and in reality, you're dead wrong But the good news is that God is a God of grace who invites you to confess your chronological snobbery, your arrogance to repent, and to come join him in the light as he defines it, not as you define it. Okay, that's our passage. 
What I want to do is I want to take that and just kind of press it out into our lives with three foundational ideas for how we might go about walking in the practice of confession and repentance and how that will shape us into the beautiful type of compelling community that God desires for us to be. Three big ideas. Number one, here we go. Confession and repentance are normal Christian life. They are normal Christian life. Now, depending on your background, this whole sermon and this point specifically, especially, I'm just going to be real honest, especially if you're in the 40 and up crowd, this point could just sound kind of strange because maybe you've never really heard it taught this way with this much biblical clarity and treated like this is supposed to be a normal requirement of life. Now, too often, that's because in American churches, spiritual growth gets boiled down to information accumulation. So the whole point of following Jesus is just learn more facts about the Bible, learn more facts about God, learn more facts about theological ideas and debates. And don't get me wrong, all of those things can be helpful and beautiful and necessary. We're doing a whole series of 301 classes this fall that start next week, and you should sign up for them because we want you to grow in those things. But if you boil spiritual growth down to only information accumulation, you miss out on about a thousand different things that Jesus calls you to do and be as his city on a hill people on earth shining out the hope of his gospel. Uh, the, the picture that we've used for this before is that we say um, American churches tend to make a lot of bobblehead Christians. Big, big head, lots of knowledge, not a lot of strength or power to walk out what you know. That's not Jesus' desire for your spiritual growth and maturity. He wants both. He wants you to have a lot of knowledge and a lot of strength and power to walk it out and to live a life of love and mission for the people around you. Now, for this point, for this idea that confession and repentance should be normal life, um, we're going to have to know that sin is a lot more than just bad stuff you do on the outside, right? Like, you know that, right? I'll just hit this really quickly, but biblically, cover to cover, sin is both omission and commission, so it's doing what I'm not supposed to do, that's commission, and it's also not doing what I am supposed to do, that's omission. So for me in my life, as often as I confess to my wife and my life group, hey, I lost my temper at the kids again, and it was nothing close to godly anger, it was just me, I was stressed about the day, and it was wrong, and I, I just need to confess that, I need prayer, I need more of God's patience in my life. As often as I confess that, uh, probably even more so, I need to confess uh, hey, I haven't been very intentional with my neighbors at all. And God calls me to love my neighbor and to show hospitality, and I haven't even thought about it for the last couple weeks. Y'all pray for me in that? I want to think about my neighbors and love them the way Jesus calls me. Omission and commission. As well, sin is head, heart, and hands. So head, sin is anything you think that you shouldn't think or don't think that you should think. Sin is heart, which means your inner life, your desires, your passions, your love. Sometimes we want things we shouldn't want. Other times we don't want things we should want. Sin is also hands, which means the things you do, or just for fun, I'll throw our mouths in there as well, the things we say. And for all of us talkers in the room, that'll give us plenty to confess this week. As well as being head, heart, and hands, sin can be anything off in your overall belief system. So anywhere, sometimes I just need to confess, hey guys, you know what? I've just been falling into the American uh, mindset that I would be satisfied if I just had more stuff. 
If I just made more money, then I could be the man I've always wanted to be. I could really provide for my wife and kids. That then life would be good. And I just need to repent of that. I'm looking for joy outside of where God says eternal joy is found. Will y'all pray for me in that? Will y'all hold me accountable? And that's vertical. I talk to God about that. And it's horizontal. I talk to people about it. Uh, This is why Martin Luther, in his first of the 95 theses that he nailed to that Wittenberg door, he said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. Or another way to say it is that fish swim, birds fly, Christians repent. It is what we do. Every other community on earth, every social club can be all about keeping up appearances, but not here. Here, we get to be fully honest about all of our sin, our religious sin, our irreligious sin, and everything in between. It ought to be beautiful and refreshing. Uh, Number two, uh, real confession is always accompanied with repentance. Real, biblical, gospel-centered confession is always partnered with repentance. Okay, so I said that the point number one, the normalcy of confession and repentance can be a little tougher if you're in the 40 and up crowd. You just probably haven't heard that taught as normalized before necessarily. Point number two tends to be a little tougher for those of us who are in the 40 and under crowd. And here's why. To us, confession as vulnerability rings very true. Yes, we should be vulnerable. We should be self-exposing. We should be honest. We should be oversharers. Yes. But not confession as agreeing with God that I'm wrong and he's right. So what happens is, for those under 40, oftentimes what we call confession is really just a declaration of your inner self and then expecting everyone to be fine with it and then getting mad at them and saying they're not safe people if they don't agree with you. That's not real confession. I'll give you some examples. Well, I'm just really blunt. That's just who I am. Nobody else seems to get it. I just call it like it is. There, I confessed it. Wait. Did you? You you confessed it, meaning you agree with God that you have a sinfully harsh tongue and a critical spirit and you want to grow and repent or you're just declaring your inner self to the universe and expecting everyone to be fine with it including Jesus your choice it could be confession I don't think it is well I just deal with doubt a lot and I just can't believe in a God who would ever have wrath or say certain behaviors are wrong or who would limit my sexual choices in any way, no thank you. There you go, that's who I am, I confessed it. Did you? That's not confession, that's a smug declaration of self and how you're smarter than God. Well, work has just been really crazy, and I just need to brunch and get my travel on to go find myself. That might be an accidental confession of gluttony and escapism idolatry, but I don't think it's confession as you might have thought. Confession is not just a declaration of your truest, deepest inner self. 
Real confession is always accompanied with repentance and a desire to grow, a desire to see God change us from the inside out, to change our desires, our thoughts, and therefore how we live, and to invite others in to help us do it. If I could offer an analogy, sometimes I think the way some of us confess is a little bit like this. Hey guys, my apartment is on fire, and I just wanted to be honest about that. And sometimes the way our groups respond is, wow, that was so real and vulnerable. (laughs) No, your apartment's on fire. Get out. Maybe save the dog, but get out. And let's figure out why was the apartment on fire in the first place and what can you do to not keep setting it on fire in the same way? It's an analogy. Think on that. Selah. (laughs) Number three, here's point number three. Walking in humble confession does not mean we can never be doing well. That's a double negative. I'm just going to say it again. I did it intentionally. Walking in humble confession, walking in the light, does not mean that we can never be doing well. So a kind of funny, unintended side effect of the culture of honesty and confession that we have worked really hard to build over the 12 years we've been meeting regularly is that if we're not careful, it can almost get to where if someone shows up at group time and they say, you know what, I mean, I'm just overall, I'm doing really well, I'm growing a lot, Jesus has been teaching me, I've been hanging out with him, I'm, I'm really enjoying the ministry I'm involved in and the people that he's leading me to love on. If we're not careful, you could kind of like subtly roll your eyes a little and go, oh no, they're faking it. And maybe, maybe they are. Or maybe they're just doing really well. And God's growing them. And they're really enjoying the ministry they're involved in and loving on the people he's putting them around. Let me give you some categories I think might be helpful. Because the reality is, as we walk in life groups over time, you are going to deal with all six of these categories. They'll be very quick. First four, not so good. Last two are what we're looking for. Category number one. Category number one is that things are bad, but you act like they're good. We call that faking it. Things are not going well, but you make it seem like they are going well. It's fake. It's not a healthy category. We don't want to live there. Category number one. Some of you need to confess this week. I'm category number one. Even when things are bad, I lie, and I make it seem like they're good. Category number two, things are bad, but you act like they're worse than they are. And that is what we call dramatic. They're bad, I agree, like this much bad. But you acted like it's nuclear warfare, and that's worse. You're being dramatic. Some of you need to confess this week. I'm category number two. I can be a little bit dramatic. Category number three, things are fine, but you make up something to act like it's bad. That is what we call negative attention seeking. Actually, everything in your life is going pretty fine. It's normal, there's some hard work involved. Yes, you need to work to keep growing, but you're just making up stuff to always be in crisis mode. That's negative attention seeking. That's not healthy, it's no bueno. Category number four, things are good, But you act like everything's even better than it is. And that's called embellishing. It's the positive version of faking it. 
It is something I can be guilty of at times. Things are going pretty good, but I want you to think everything's magic. And everything is not magic. Jesus is magic. Me, I'm a sinner. So everything's good, but here's some stuff I'm dealing with, and I just wanted to be honest about that. That's category number four. None of those are what we're aiming for. All bad. Repent of those. Confess those. Got it? Last two are good. Category number five. Things are going bad, and you're honest about it. Without making it sound better or worse than it really is, yes, hooray, that's healthy confession. That is healthy walking in the light. I'm not doing well, my circumstances aren't going good, and I want to be honest with it without embellishing, without being dramatic. This is what's going on in my life. Can y'all gospel me up? Do you have any advice for me? There we go. Category number six. You might think that's enough categories, John. We don't need a sixth one, but I want to separate five and six just a little bit. Category number six, things are going good, and you're honest about that without making it sound better than it really is embellishing or worse than it is lying. Hooray, that is also healthy confession. <laughs> but it's a different kind. And if you're not careful, you might be like, wait, 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 wait a second, John. How could that be confession if you're just saying things are going good? Well, because the scriptures throughout actually command us to rejoice in the Lord always, to give thanks without ceasing, and that sometimes if we're not careful, I think our groups can actually turn into long complaining sessions under the guise of confession. I'm not saying all of our groups. I'm not saying your group. But if you're like, is he talking about my group? Maybe. And the truth is, sometimes when we hang out with group, what we need to confess is, man, God is so good and he is at work in me. And one of my sinful temptations is to ignore where he's at work and to only focus on my circumstances. And I just wanted to confess to y'all, God is good. And here's all the good stuff he's doing in my life. That's not faking it. That's healthy and beautiful. And sometimes when things aren't going good, your confession should be, things aren't going good, but I know that God's still good in the midst of it. And I know that not based on my circumstances. I know that based on the cross. And I'm struggling, and I need prayer, and I need support, and I'm talking to God about the ways that I'm struggling, but at the same time, will y'all help me remember that God's still good even in the midst of it? And that's healthy, and that's beautiful. Um, I really like how Robert Murray McShane said it. He's a very smart theologian uh, who is dead now, so you can't email him either. But he said, for everyone look at yourself, look at Jesus ten times. That's what healthy confession and repentance looks like. We both confess the terribleness of our sin and also the beauty of our Savior. And as we do that, we grow as individuals and we grow as a community to more and more look like a little piece of heaven right here in Columbia every day. So for our church, listen, I want our city, I want our church to be less and less marked by sinful greed. And you know how that happens? Every one of us starts to confess the ways that greed has taken root in our hearts, and we start to repent, and we start to walk more and more in Jesus' beautiful, free, cheerful generosity, and our city starts to change one person at a time. I want our city and I want our church to be more and more set free from sinful worry and anxiety. You know how that happens? Each of us individually start to confess the sinful ways that we want to be in control of our lives and we confess, God, I'm wrong, you're in control, I'm not, and that's better. 
And all of us as a group, we start to grow and our city starts to change a little bit at a time. And our guys group on the regular, we should be confessing things like lust and apathy and workaholism and sinful anger and sinful passivity. And as we do, you know what happens? The culture of masculinity in our church and in our city starts to become a little bit less unhealthy. We start to push back and fight against anything that you could call toxic masculinity as we become more and more shaped by Jesus' version of masculinity. And in teaching team, one of our really bright women, Lizzie Keegan, was saying, John, you need to say this to the women's groups as well. Y'all don't always have as clear of a picture of this, I think. Or this is not even what I think, it's what she said. But that our women's groups need to be regularly confessing of things like gossip and insecurity and comparison sins, as well as lust and workaholism, and all of that starts, and all of that happens as our women confess. And listen, maybe you're going, John, I've never seen that. I don't know what it would look like for that to be normal, and I'll give you the good news and the bad news. Neither do I, but we get to figure it out. We get to decide this is what it looks like to follow Jesus in a sense of normal confession and repentance all the time and trust that he's going to be faithful to grow us and to bring us to completion as we do. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much that you love us right where we are with no need to clean ourselves up. You are offended by the thought that we could make ourselves perfect for you. And at the same time, God, you love us too much to let us stay there. You want to see us grow. You want to shape us more and more into who you designed us to be. You want to change and shape our city and shine gospel light through our lives and through our community as we confess our sin and as you grow us by the work of your spirit, by the work of your gospel and your word dwelling richly in us. So God, I just pray for our church more and more that we would have the freedom wherever we're coming from, whether it's religious darkness and faking it, whether it's irreligious darkness where we're very forthcoming but not very willing to trust you when we don't understand why you say what you say. God, wherever we're at, I pray that we would be willing to be honest about it and then take the next step of repentance and that in that small, simple, ordinary way that our church would become healthier and our city would become a little more beautiful as you change us, as you change our community, as you change our city. We pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.